0: And Welcome to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 on the Faith FM network wherever you are. Or maybe you're listening on the internet and if you are, good for you. Right now you are joined by the Breakfast Show team. It is Lawson and...
1: Lyle! Yeah. Yes. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm just sort of sitting here thinking, <laughs> you know, Lawson really likes my seat. Yeah, that's I'm right. I'm gone for one no, day. Got, I got used to it I'm gone for one and day now, and it's now just, just like... In- that's it, Lyle's irrelevant. I was actually,
0: so just that I was like, oh, I'm going to prank Lyle by just doing the intro. But Lyle had his like headphones all tangled and messed up anyway, so he probably <laughs> wouldn't have said it. <laughs> yeah, anyways, yeah, no, I just so, thought I'd sneak in there and, mm-hmm. and
1: get it done. Yep. How are you, Lyle? How um, was yesterday? I, I, yesterday was fantastic. It was great. Yeah, what'd you get up to? I was camping. I, I, I <laughs> came home from camping yesterday. We went out the bush. It was amazing. <laughs> Mate, in the bush? Yep. Getting it done? Absolutely. You have no idea. Okay. Where did you go, Kevin? Uh A place called Nyangala. Okay.
0: How far is that from here? About
1: three hours. All right. Up Maybe three and, like and a half. inland, north? Near Walker. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, up that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up in the high country. So it was cold up there. Yeah. Definitely cold, like five degrees, you know. Yep. Mountains, mountains, cold. That's December, you know. Yeah, yeah. Good start. Mate of mine came camping, and uh, just wore shorts because it's December. It was, was he, was he okay? Yeah, he was cold. No,
0: he was cold. He was, it was cold. You know, he's not some like crazy guy from like the
1: bottom of Tasmania who just, no, no 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 no, like... no, 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 no. This guy's from North Queensland. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> he would have been really struggling. No, he hasn't lived in North Queensland for a while, but yeah. <laughs>
0: nice. Well, I'll tell you what I'm grateful for. They're running this um, basically a week long intensive Bible yes! discipleship course. Yes! Um And you know half an hour after the show ends this morning i'm going to be there teaching Teaching. i'm going to be teaching about uh basically my lesson is going to be how to tell your testimony i thought well you can come along and and learn some things yeah maybe i should maybe i should you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different Well, let's have a look at some positively different news, beginning with... Okay, this is cool. I Actually, I asked Lyle a question about diabetes. We're having a conversation about it before the show started because it came across an epic article that is talking about probably the biggest... hmm, I would say maybe the biggest development in diabetes um, since the discovery of exogenous insulin... A hundred years ago, uh, up until one hundred years ago, as me and Lyle were discussing, essentially, if you were born with type one diabetes, you would die. That's absolutely, you would. Like there, there was no cure. There wasn't um, until they found you know insulin that could be injected um, to regulate. You know, blood sugar and whatnot. Uh, one hundred years ago, and now it is a manageable disease. But for the most part, like you need to be really on top of it. You can still die from diabetes if you neglect it very easily. Yes. Um, whether it's type one or type two. Now, type two, type one is you're born naturally. Whether type two is a lifestyle disease that comes from you know years of the overconsumption, which you can of sugar. reverse through lifestyle. Yeah, which you can also reverse through lifestyle. But in type one diabetes. The problem is it doesn't matter how fit or healthy or amazing you are. Um, yes, autoimmune diseases diseases can be overcome, but what they found is um, in most cases it persists. Yes. Until very recently. Um, there was a guy, His name he's 64 years old, his name is Brian Shelton, and his wife signed him up to a trial run that was done by Vertex Pharmaceuticals where he was injected with... Pancreas cells, you know, stem cells. oh yes, for, for pancreas, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, to to basically unprogram cells um, that would go and try and fit the function of what regular pancreas cells would do in in you know regulating insulin and sugar. And he has been completely cured from type one diabetes.
1: Okay, so let me get this straight then. So basically, what what's happening there is that the cells are that produce the insulin are there in his pancreas but are inactive. That's right. And you put these other active cells in there Mm -hmm. and they just go running around through the pancreas and switching on all of the unactive cells so that they now become active and now his pancreas starts working again. Yep. That's pretty cool. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Because, again, like, this is a problem that has persisted
0: for 100 years. Yes. That, well, That's maybe, a problem that has persisted. Oh, for, probably, for all time. But in terms of trying to actively find a cure, yes. they only knew they could have a cure 100 years ago with the discovery of insulin that they could inject. Um, but now it's like, it's this is, this is like new frontier for health right here. Uh, type 1 diabetes affects many millions of people around the world. And um, this is like, really
1: a cure. It is. It's interesting you're raising this particular subject because there's a two-page spread in this morning's Newcastle Herald newspaper Mm. um, all about type 2 diabetes and how, you know, it's completely reversible and curable through lifestyle. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, this is the way to go. It's like world diabetes, you know, in its entirety, which is something that affects many people, like particularly, um, in some underdeveloped, particularly in the islands, they, you know, islander, you know, Polynesia, Melanesia and and whatnot, they really struggle with, with diabetes and, and, well, that's lifestyle diabetes. That's like, yeah, they struggle with, struggle with lifestyle diabetes, but then also don't have access to things like insulin and whatnot, and so they die. Uh but then you know throughout the populations yeah so many people are born with type 1 diabetes and for this guy Brian Shelton he's just like man it's a whole new life it's a Yeah I don't
1: know that this will work with with um lifestyle diabetes because that's right. with lifestyle di- diabetes you've actually killed your pancreas
0: that's right
1: whereas with type 1 it's just you know you're just born with that particular Challenge.
0: Well, this guy, Brian Shelton, he is the first of this clinical trial. That, by the way, you know, uh, the guy, the group that had been funded to do this, um, they were the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. You know, uh, there was a guy named uh, Doug Milton, Dr. Doug Milton from Harvard. Um, it took him 20 years to convert stem cells into islet, islet cells, uh, the insulin-producing pancreatic denizens, so, pancreatic pancreatic denizen. So it's been the work of over 20 years um, to be able to, you know, get these stem cells converted to be working in the pancreas, and it's coming to fruition. So I guess in the future we'll see how this plays out. In other news, oh, this is really cool science news. I've been, you know, we've been covering and following all the stuff happening in the world of of fusion reactions and how people are developing this technology that supposedly provides free energy for the world. You know, by, and basically how it works is that you heat, um, hydrogen up to a hundred million degrees Celsius in various many ways, whether you have a big fusion reaction core or, um, the particular, I talked about one earlier that was, um, you know, lasers heating, you know, stuff up. Um, and the one that we're going to be looking at today is lasers because this is important. For the first time ever, a fusion reaction has made more energy than its cost, you know, to produce that reaction. Oh, really? So, this is the precipice right here. Free energy right there. This is free energy, yes. Obviously, it's very far from, you know, being sustainable and stable and, you know, becoming a product and everything. But up until this point, to create a fusion reaction, which, as I said before, needs, like, you need to heat something up to 100 million degrees to... To convert hydrogen into helium has been incredibly difficult and and they have made power from this, but never enough power to justify the energy cost that went into it now finally, they have um, using one hundred and ninety two high powered lasers um, all blasted you know into you know and then converted into x rays and they implode with a fuel capsule of hydrogen and it heated up to a hundred million degrees, um, yeah, with pressures greater than a hundred billion of Earth's atmosphere, um, they, you know, created plasma and made more energy than it costs. So this is this is huge. This is like we're looking at, you know, this is the final frontier of free energy. We have eclipsed it, and uh, I guess we'll have to see in the future how it plays out finally i saw a story this morning that i thought was really interesting um because they have spotted one of the one of the rarest animals essentially in in the animal kingdom uh, a white albino sperm whale. Now, uh, for those who are inter- interested in old literature, you would this would cast your mind back to the book Moby Dick, which is... I, I uh, listened to a radio play of Moby Dick, and then I read Moby Dick, and it's an incredibly interesting story with a lot of symbolism. Um, and yeah, it, off the coast of Jamaica, they have spotted a white sperm whale getting around. It's giant. This thing is absolutely huge. Unlike Moby Dick, though, it's not aggressive. It's not attacking ships. Um, but yeah, it's been starting a conversation about you know the how rare albino sperm whales actually are and like there's one that lives off the Italian coast of Sardinia that was seen in 2006 and then nine years later and never again uh, there's one that was off the coast of Byron Bay in Australia that was seen in 1991 and then 1997 maybe it's the same whale maybe it's just getting around the world maybe maybe this is Moby Dick but, uh, anyways yeah really cool stuff happening in the animal kingdom as well <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Anyways,
1: yeah, okay. So we have here. Um, just before we before we go there, uh, actually, no, we'll, we'll go to those in a minute. I've got some text messages come through that were very good there, but anyway. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about uh, what's happening here. So the other person who's been brought, been brought up on prim- criminal charges, and this is interesting because this is the first Western democracy where you've got people being brought up on criminal charges for uh, preaching. <coughs> Basically, Christian doctrine that has been in existence for the last 6,000 years. Yeah. Uh, You would argue, okay, Christian doctrine for the last, uh, let's say, 2,000 years, Abrahamic doctrine for, for the last, last 4,000 4, years, 000, yeah. biblical doctrine for the last 6,000 years. It's mm. just like there is nothing new here. It's not surprising. It's not like shock, horror. I can't believe that people of faith are actually believing this kind of thing. We need to throw criminal charges at them. And the question kind of, you know, comes up is why is this taking place and why is it taking place now? So the other person is Bishop, uh, Johanna Pohojula Pojola? Mm hmm pajola 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 let's call it, let's call him pajola mm-hmm. uh, now he's an eth- evangelical lutheran now evangelical lutherans are basically or what, what's often called confessional lutherans mm-hmm. uh, people who confess the bible yes so they take the bible as their standard of uh, their rule of faith and practice and it's a growing movement mm. and so uh, paivi uh, rasanen is a member of parliament she was yeah, She was arrested and brought up on criminal charges um, sometime earlier this year for tweeting a photo of a Bible verse. Uh, yep. Yikes. Uh, this particular guy, uh, Johanna Pojola, um, he put out a book way back in 2009 that was about marriage and the family. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, basic Christian teaching on marriage and the family, one man, one wife, mm-hmm. have a marriage, have a family together, etc. etc by the Which, which by the way, all research, 100% of any kind of research that has ever been done has mm. shown that this is the ideal environment to create a family and to raise children. Mm. Okay, so these guys have been brought up on uh, criminal charges for this, uh, which is the first since in the post-Soviet era. Of course, in the Soviet era, you could be brought up on criminal charges on matters of faith. But... This is the first time since then. What's interesting is that this book was actually written and published and distributed seven years before Finland had LGBT plus uh, legislation uh, creating this particular people group as a protected class. And so when the Mm. book was written, there was nothing illegal about it. Mm -hmm. And so this is a major witch hunt where they're like, okay, we're going to find somebody to create some you know, some common law precedents right here so that we can kind of go after everybody. Uh, the police have stated in interviews with these two individuals that to publish in the, publish the Bible in Finland, Finland under current legislation is a hate crime as defined under Finnish law. Wow. Now, what's interesting about that is that we sort of sit here and go, okay, that's pretty wild. Mm. You've got a Western democracy... Under which, by law, it's illegal to publish the Bible. Mm. Here's the interesting thing about that it is illegal to publish the Bible under the laws of every European country, uh, Canada, Australia, and questionably in the United States right now. Under hate speech laws, it is illegal to publish the Bible. It's not being acted on. Yeah, given, given the
0: precedent. But, well, you would say just at all, according to law,
1: right? Yeah, at all. Mm-hmm. And, and so basically what you've got is these sleeper laws, and they've been around for a very, very long time. For instance, uh, Victoria here mm-hmm. in Australia, it became illegal to publish the Bible you know, back in the very early, the late 90s, early 2000s, something like mm-hmm. that. I uh, don't remember the exact date. But, of course, people continue to publish the Bible because it is socially acceptable, and... And nobody has brought a criminal case against anybody for publishing the Bible. But the the laws have been there and they, and because, because the laws have never been acted on in relationship to the Bible, because, you know, Mm -hmm. they make the laws and it's like, oh yeah, but no one's ever actually going to do that. Uh, well, (laughs) until society changes. And until Christianity becomes a big enough or a small enough minority, so that the majority can go after them and and they can say, well, this is actually on the books, this is the law, and we're going to press criminal charges against these particular people that have done these kinds of things. And this is the problem with sleeper laws. And so, you know, you look at, say, for instance, your Victorian anti-conversion legislation and everybody says, yeah, but no one's actually going to send someone to jail for saying a prayer. Mm. And right now that's probably true. But will that be true in 20 years from now mm. or in 10 years from now or in five years from now? What we're seeing is that you pass this legislation It creates a legal precedent. Nobody takes it seriously until they do. Mm. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. And this is why a lot of people are looking at this as being a canary in the coal mine kind of a situation and looking very closely at what actually happens in Finland because these laws exist right across the world. Wow. Uh, They've also been told that their current beliefs constitute, cop this, a thought crime. Wow, that's deep. That's pretty deep. Okay, um, <laughs> here's, now here's the next thing that's interesting about this: mm. is that Christianity is not the only faith group that you know stands by biblical marriage. Yeah, that's right. You know, you've got Abrahamic religions to begin with, plus other religions, all teach the same thing. Mm. However, what you're going to find is that Christianity is going to be always. Where the prosecution starts, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is well, nobody can afford to go mm-hmm. after Jewish people because they're all wealthy, um, <laughs> and Islamic people tend to have a proclivity for violence, and so they're not game to. But because Christians have a you know a non-aggression attitude because of the example of Jesus Christ, mm. they always go for the the soft underbelly of the faith community, mm. um, and so yeah. Uh, and essentially what has happened is that people have gone to sleep because of inaction, you know. The world hasn't ended. The legislation came through. Nothing happened. The world didn't end. Mm. This is not a big deal. Why would we be worried about it? And then, you know, certain number of years down the track, society changes enough so that the prosecutors can think, you know, we're actually going to have the popular support of the population. Because back when these laws were made, if they'd have prosecuted somebody for publishing the Bible, nobody would have, you know, everybody would be like, you're, the, you're, you're just idiots. And what would have happened is there, there would have been a change of government or a change of law. Yeah. But now they know that they won't get a change of government or a change of law. And so they are able to actually do this. Okay, we need to watch this space. Religious liberty is under increasing threat. It's only heading one direction. We know it will only head one direction because, well, Revelation 13 says so. Mm. But let's watch this space and enjoy the liberty we have while we have it. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. John Ashton, and uh, of course we we had a bit of a fill-in pre-record that we used yesterday, but uh, Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, hi, uh, well, good to be here. I'm actually,
1: I'm actually super excited that uh, we get to do this interview today because I wasn't here yesterday, and so I would have missed out on this one. But I understand that we're talking about a radical new theory on how life began. Uh, what's happening here? I mean, we've we've had creation and we've had evolution as our two our, our only two theories, really, as to how life began. Um, what's what what have we got now?
2: <laughs> well, you wouldn't. Um, uh, it was quite an interesting article that appeared in uh, New Scientist uh, in on the fifth of August last year, uh, twenty twenty, and um, essentially what. Uh, The scientists have been saying that um, it's long been thought that the ingredients for life came together slowly, bit by bit. But there's so many major problems with that. So now they're saying it all happened at once in a chemical big bang. (laughs) So um, they've they've developed and they're trying to now develop a a, an equivalent of a big bang theory uh, for the origin of life and. One of the reasons um, is that um, that what they're saying is that all the evidence suggests that life just suddenly formed. And, of course, that that fits in with creation. And uh, so they're now trying to, um, you know, develop a theory behind that. And so, of course, the heading for the article was a radical new theory rewrites the story of how life on Earth began. But really, they haven't figured the theory out yet.
1: <laughs> okay, so well, 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 wait a minute. But basically, this is not a new theory at all. This is the this is the Bible message in many ways. It's like you know, God said it, and bang, there it was.
2: Well, that's right. And what they're saying is that all the evidence points to this now. Uh, and uh, it's interesting. This is that there's quite a fierce debate uh, taking, well, you know, on on the internet at the uh, at the present time. Over the origin of life, and it's interesting that there was um, an article came out in uh, Scientific American uh, back in about 2011, and uh, the uh, author, uh, the title of the uh, article was, "Don't tell the creationists, but scientists don't have a clue on how life began," (laughs) and uh, so it's interesting that Scientific American published that. Article, but it's interesting when you, uh, I've got a copy of the article here and the, the author, John Horgan, uh, writes, um, that exactly 20 years ago, so this is back in 1991, he says, I wrote an article for for Scientific American that in draft form had the headline above. But the editor of Scientific American, uh, wasn't very happy with that. Uh, you know, the, the heading, don't tell the creationists that don't, scientists don't have a clue how life began. So the editor wasn't happy with that. So they changed the title to, in the beginning, scientists are having a hard time agreeing on when, where, and most importantly, how first life emerged on Earth. So this shows you that over sort of 30 years. Now, of course, last year, uh, about the time that this radical new theory was uh, published, James Tour, Um, who's one of the most highly cited synthetic chemists in the world and and at that stage was listed as one of the top 10 chemists in the world, Um, gave a talk at uh, Andrews University and the title of his talk was something along the lines that uh, chemists still don't have a clue how life began. Now, of course, the fact that James Tour, and such a prominent chemist came out um, if you Google that now, if you Google James Tour, um, chemists don't have a clue how they are on the origin of life, something like that. Um, you'll find that there are other scientists now that are putting up a whole lot of things trying to uh, rebut James Tour's claims, and it's very interesting. Um, the uh, what they're putting up a whole lot of straw men, uh, and then destroying the, the straw men arguments, and so. To give you an example, they say, for example, well, James Tour is a is a synthetic chemist. He can't really talk on the origin of life because that involves genetics, biology, and even you know astronomy and geology and all these sort of things. So he can't claim to be an expert. Uh, but that's a straw man because geology, cosmology, astronomy, physics, all these sort of things really. Uh, while they can provide a, a background setting. But the whole problem of the origin of life is that you've got to somehow chemically, from basic compounds, form an com- a, a extremely complex living, reproducing organism. And the complexity of this is extreme. And secondly, in order to do it, you've still got to use chemical reactions. And so the fact that, yes, yeah, so sure, geology and astronomy and all this sort of thing, uh, you know, plays a role. For example, they they claim, well, you've got you know compounds like uh, cyanide and so forth forming in stars, uh, and cyanide, of course, has nitrogen, which is an important component, and carbon, and they detect all these very very small molecules in stars, and so they say, well, see, therefore, you know, these are in stars, it's so easy these compounds could accumulate and form a living organism. But it's just very hard for them to understand that the simplest living organism involves millions of highly complex molecules, millions, uh, many of which have to be identical, you know. Um, and so, you know, the, the problem remains. And I think really the, the problem of the origin of life is a, is a powerful scientific testimony to the Creator there's just no scientific explanation of how, you know, some chemical structure could form and then a code could form at the same time that describes that structure forming around it and then a code reader could form at the same time that can read the code and reassemble the new identical molecule so it can reproduce. I don't
1: you know, think- and I. Sorry, if I could just jump in for a second, John. One of the things that was jumping out to me just as I was listening to this, you know, you've got life. This radical new theory that life came about as a as a big bang, instantaneously, um, as as a result of an explosion, effectively. And what we have, you know, here on Earth, we we're very good at creating explosions. This is something that we do every day, uh, particularly in times of warfare. Uh, this is something that we have repeated millions and millions and millions of times. And yet we have never seen anything but the end of life as a result of explosions, not the beginning of life. And so to me, to, to have an explosion that creates life without a creator who is actually directing that particular explosion you know, it seems to be against all of the scientific evidence that I can see. I mean, you talk about what, you know, testable and repeatable and, you know, so forth, the scientific method. Well, we have tested and repeated and, you know, everything to do with explosions and haven't seen any life yet.
2: (laughs) Yes, that's that's, that's very true. And, of course, um, but I I think it's very interesting that the, the scientists are recognising that the evidence suggests that life emerged very very rapidly and of course you know when they use the biochemical big bang of course they probably don't imagine explosion but they imagine all these reactions somehow coming together and very quickly forming a living organism but of course as you say we don't observe that happening Um, and you know they they have some really strange claims like it can just involve ultraviolet light and ice and all, all this sort of thing and it's such a simplistic model that they're trying to put together uh, to start life off compared to, you know, what, how complex life is. So quite, you know, I think a living cell is so uh, is it so complex. We, we actually, it's difficult for the human mind to even imagine how, you know, how complex it, it is, you know. And, and one of the arguments that some of the guys attacking James, and so he's being attacked uh, for speaking out on this, uh, quite vigorously on the internet the pool guy. And it just shows you that the uh, you know, this atheist atheist agenda to try and explain that uh, we don't need a God um, is, is desperate um, to you know preserve their position where the evidence is just continuing to accumulate that we had a supernatural creator, you know, and, and the Bible Account of origins, you know, just fits what we observe out there scientifically. You know, it's um, it's so and it's so important. I think that you know, as listeners, be aware of this. That sometimes we can go on the internet and we can see these uh, arguments that seem to explain the origin of life and this sort of thing. But we need to understand that a lot of the uh, the so-called evidence that they put up is is straw man evidence. Um, it's evidence that really isn't uh, true, doesn't really stand up. And the top scientists really um, are recognising now that, um, you know, life must have been created. You know, for example, Lee, um, the scientist, I just can't think of his name now, who um, worked out the human uh, genome, Francis Collins. Um, again, you know, he's a chemist and he points out, well, God must have created life in the beginning. Our life is so complex. So, you now we need to remember that with our faith. Um, that um, you know, science uh, really is pointing all the time to the Creator. You know, as, as Paul points out, the the evidence for God is there in His works in in nature around us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've just got uh, somebody who just texted through here, John. They said, "Dr. John, really appreciate his presentations." Um, as I do for all you guests. Big Bang looks like we are back to the Word of God. Um, scientific truth leads back to God's Word, the one who made science. God is good if only science listened to the Holy Spirit instead of Satan. So there you go, somebody listening to the show and uh, shooting us a text message in relationship to what we're chatting about here this morning. But uh, I, I do find it fascinating because... And it sort of, you know, it makes me wonder how long is it and how many scientists are we going to have to come forward and say, look, you know, this slow process of, you know, evolution creating life simply doesn't work. It's not tenable before this actually filters down to, you know, the average high school teacher in their classroom. How long, how long of a process does it actually take and how many scientists are going to have to come out and to address this topic before something like this happens?
2: Yes. I think the, unfortunately, the issue is that they have a mandate that God is to be kept out of the classroom. Uh, and, there's, of course, there's no other explanation, e- e- even for evolution, you know. Sure, evolutionary processes occur, but they don't produce totally new body parts. Uh, they don't produce new, totally new biochemical pathways. And, uh, you know, there are many parts of our, uh, you know, biochemistry that, so complex in the human body, uh, just simple compounds, for example, that take a huge number of chemical steps to, uh, to synthesise those particular compounds and all that chemistry is set up. So, you know, compounds that we just take for granted, like cholesterol, there's 19 steps involved in the body synthesising uh, cholesterol in the liver. And all those uh, steps involve new co- chemical compounds. Each one of those chemical compounds itself has to be synthesized by other chemical reactions using enzymes and other specific chemicals that are all working together to, annoy, well, it's more, it's about 25 or 26 steps, actually, um, to, uh, process to produce cholesterol in the body. All that chemistry has to be pre-programmed. Now evolutionists have to believe that it arose by chance and this is just one compound that we're all familiar with. There are hundreds, well thousands actually of compounds in the human body that have to be synthesized in order to make our biochemistry work and they all involve multi-stage chemical processes that all have to be coordinated and uh, to function at just the right uh, step. You it's a major problem in the laboratory. The guys that uh, first synthesised cholesterol in the laboratory got the Nobel Prize. It took them, you know, years. It wasn't until the early 1930s that they were able to synthesise cholesterol in the body. And even then, it was a major problem because cholesterol comes in a number of optical forms, like you have a right and left-hand version. Well, there are actually 256 different versions of cholesterol that can be formed that all have quite different structures, but only one of those 256 different forms is bioactive and can work in the body. So this shows you, you know, the amazing structure that's in there that most people aren't aware of, uh, that can't be simplified. It all points to a, a, a creator, a supernatural designer.
1: Dr. John Ashton, thank you so much for joining us here on The Breakfast Show. We always appreciate what you've got to share. Uh, Right now we're going to continue on with the show. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.